Any athletes out there? How about armchair athletes at least? Any sports fans? How about that? Okay, answer me this then. What's the purpose of competition? To win, right? Well, welcome to Through the Bible Sunday Sermon, and our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, turns the tables on us today, and he takes us to the 12th chapter of 1 Chronicles and explains when surrender is victory. So as you open your Bible to 1 Chronicles 12, we got a couple of minutes to hear from fellow passengers like you on the Bible bus, and these are great letters today. And yes, I know, Greg, I do say this every time, but it's true, isn't it? It is true, and and it, it, it we want you to know we value your letters, and we thank you for taking time and trouble, letters, emails, texts, yeah. Facebook posts, whatever it is. Thanks for telling us your story and letting us share it. And today, the letters and and responses we want to share are all about what we would call partners and ministry. Yeah, I love it because they're all referencing the world prayer team. I'll just give it away a little early. Yeah, Yeah. well, if you've listened to Steve three times, you know (laughs) that that he loves the world prayer team. And we are so grateful that we now have, by the grace of God, more than 18,000 members. Let's keep that growing. Invite friends. And listen to these letters, and you will know why we are so excited about the World Prayer Team. Yeah, here's the first one from Mike. He says, A recent World Prayer Team email made me think of myself. I accepted Jesus when I was 14, and a few years after that, we moved away, and I drifted away. When I got to college, I was taken in by some people who were involved in an Eastern mystic religion. I'm sure glad Jesus has infinite patience and that he was by my side all the way in spite of my stupidity. I was drifting in and out for years, but in 1996, I returned to Jesus. I love serving him and am now an elder at my church. Thank you so much for allowing me to serve on this prayer ministry. Wonderful. Now, here's one from David and Rock from Missouri. Been listening to Through the Bible on and off, mostly on, for about 35 years. My wife and I are both on the Bible bus and the world prayer team. All right. What tremendous stories we read. God is truly at work. We just finished reading the August newsletter, and I read about the home groups. I had no idea how many people were being reached. God is truly at work. Hmm. As givers to Through the Bible, it is good to know that we are partners with this ministry that reaches so many. The article on sin and forgiveness, as always, hit the spot. The Holy Spirit is at work. Thank you for the many resources you provide to help us grow. You know, that's one thing we don't mention a lot is our our monthly newsletter. Yeah, and, yeah. And I would really suggest that you get that. I love getting it every month. I like, I'm, I'm old school in the sense that I like having that piece of paper, yeah, but yeah. you can get it digitally as well. But if you have it, there's really some great articles. It's not just a bunch of fluff. It's worth your time to get that newsletter and read it every month. Well, and based on the principle that Dr. McGee laid down, if you sign up for our mailing list, we will never, ever ask you for money because a lot of people are, they yeah. hear, sign up for a newsletter and they think they're going to get bombarded with requests. We can't do that because Dr. McGee said we can't. Okay, so next letter. You want to read this one? Yeah, and by the way, you can sign up at ttb.org. Yes, of course. This next one is Sharon in Lancaster, South Carolina, who writes, As I read this morning's letter to the World Prayer Team, Ani in Armenia asked for prayer for his son, Albert, who is addicted to drugs. While I don't have a child addicted to drugs, I do have one that is in the pig pen right now, and I'm praying that the Lord will open her eyes to see that she can come home to the Father and he will welcome her with open arms. Amen to that. Mm. 
So what Ani stated in his letter this morning sure resonated with me, that nothing is impossible with God and that the World Prayer Team is a place that we can go where others will be on their knees for our children. What a privilege it is to pray with and for Ani and his son, Albert, and all of my brothers and sisters around the world, and to have them praying for me as well. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this great service. Yeah, and of course, if you are a newer listener, what is being referred to in that last letter about her daughter being in the pig pen is Dr. McGee's teaching on the prodigal son. Yeah, the prodigal saying, son, yeah. Just because he was in the pig pen, he wasn't a pig, he was a son. Right? Yeah, so, and he would be um, coming back. And I, and I know you and I have family members that we pray yes. for, so we share that burden of uh, asking the Lord to bring uh, our loved ones uh, to the feet of Jesus. Yeah. Greg, why don't you pray for our listeners worldwide and also for our Sunday sermon uh, titled, When Surrender is Victory. Heavenly Father, uh, we're so grateful to be part of this amazing fellowship that has been put together by you. Yes, we gather around the teaching of your word and Dr. McGee and his teaching, but we are, we're really just excited that we share so much as a family, listening together, praying for one another, and crying out to you for the, the desires of our heart. And so often it's for the salvation of friends and family, and I just pray for all all of our listening family that are carrying that burden, that you would work miracles in their lives. And now, Father, as we turn to your word, we ask you to open our hearts and our minds and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's the Sunday Sermon on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. These are they that went over Jordan in the first month when it had overflown all its banks. And they put to flight all them of the valleys, both toward the east and toward the west. And there came of the children of Benjamin and Judah to the hold unto David. And David went out to meet them and answered and said unto them, If ye become peaceably unto me to help me, mine heart shall be knit unto you. But if ye become to betray me to mine enemies, seeing there's no wrong in mine hands, the God of our fathers looked thereon and rebuked it. Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, who was chief of the captains, and he said, Thine are we, David, and on thy side, thou son of Jesse, peace, peace be unto thee, and peace to thine helpers, for thy God helpeth thee. Then David received them, and made them captains of the band. In chapters 11 and 12 here of 1 Chronicles, we have the roster of David's mighty men. We have the list of those who came to him during the days of rejection, that is, during the days when he was rejected. You will recall that when... When Samuel came down to Bethlehem and poured the anointing oil on David, from that moment on, he was no longer an insignificant shepherd boy. But from that moment on, he was God's king. And from that moment on, he found himself in grave danger. He had to go almost immediately out into the dens of, and the caves of the earth, and there he hid in order that Saul might not take him. 
He spent a long time during those many days and actually years while Saul reigned and while he was rejected. And it was during this particular time of his rejection that these mighty men came to him. We find that uh, there were some that came to him uh, under one circumstance, and then there were others that came to him under another circumstance. You'll recall we talked about one of those mighty men, Benaiah, who went out on a snowy day and slew a lion. That appealed to David. He'd slain a lion, and he knew that it was a pretty big undertaking. And when he heard about what this man did, I tell you, he liked it and made him one of his mighty men, especially it was a snowy day. And he didn't use that as an excuse for staying away from church, you see. And then we have spoke, I think, recently... I'm sure not too long ago, about those men that when David was hiding under in the cave of Adullam and the Philistines were holding little Bethlehem and Saul was looking for him and poor David frustrated, he said, oh, that one would give me to drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem. And three of his mighty men overheard him. David didn't give a command to go to get the water, just said, I wish I had some. But David just had to wish it. And his mighty men had acted. And those mighty men went and broke through the lines of the Philistines, got the water, brought it back to David. They were some of his mighty men. Now, we're looking at another group that came from Judah and Benjamin. Actually, they were very close to David as far as being kinfolk were concerned. They belonged to the same tribe that, that he belonged to, Judah. And they came over to Jordan to to join him. Now, the thing was that this was the time when David was more hard-pressed than any other time. Saul had made it so hot for him that you find David in the Psalms crying out. He says, I'm just like a partridge. I'm being honey, and it's open season on me all the time. I uh, personally love to go hunting, and I mention the fact that I like to hunt on the, our noon radio program. Some dear lady out here in the San Fernando Valley wrote me quite a letter. And she said to me, she said, I've enjoyed your program, and went on to say that it blessed her heart, but said, you know, said I, I didn't like the fact that you go out and shoot these poor little birds. And I told this dear lady, I said, lady, you don't worry about it, because the fellas that I go hunting with and myself, the little birds are not in danger you ought to really feel sorry for us because we generally come back disappointed. And so don't you worry about the little birds. But you see, David wasn't that fortunate. David said, it's open season on me all the time. And Saul's after me and he almost gets me. And on this particular occasion, he actually crossed over the Jordan River and left the land in order to get away from the long, strong arm of Saul. And it was while he was camped immediately on the other side, Jordan, that this incident took place. Now, it happened something like this. The man who was doing sentry duty along the Jordan River, watching to see if any of Saul's men crossed over, he saw a group of men approaching the Jordan River. He watched them. When they got to the Jordan River, they plunged in. They were army men. They had swords. They were prepared to fight. And so this sentry went immediately to David and said, David, 
There's some men crossing over. I do not know whether they're friend or foe, but they do have swords. They are prepared to fight. So David immediately went down to the water's edge. These men were swimming over toward him. He said, men, I do not know whether you're friend or foe, but I want you to know this, that if you mean me harm, God have mercy on you, because we'll destroy you. But if you mean to be our friend, we'll accept you. Well, these men were swimming out of breath, and they couldn't say very much at that particular time, and because it was the Jordan River was at flood stage, and it was pretty difficult to swim the river at this time. And so these men finally made it to the other bank, and their captain, a Maesai, he crawled out on the land, and I think breathlessly, he said, David, we're thine. We belong to you. We're on your side. And we've come over here to identify ourselves with you and to join you and to let you know that we are on your side. Well, may I say, for this very brave feat, David says, come right on in. And he made these men captain. Captain. And when David finally came to the throne, these men occupied very prominent position. But during the days of David's rejection, these men were identified with him and went with him out turning the day, the dens and the caves of the earth. Now, my beloved, these men became men that were followers of David. They were men that were noted for their bravery. They were noted for their courage. They were noted for their loyalty. They were noted for their dedication and for their service. Every one of these men live for David. Now, I'm confident that the corollary is clear here to us, and I'm sure that the analogy is very evident. You and I are living in the days of the rejection of Jesus Christ. We are living in the days when he's rejected. He is this earth's rightful king. The anointing oil has already been poured upon him. He was anointed of the Holy Spirit when he was here. But they said, we'll not have this man to rule over us, and they crucified him and put him on a cross. He died. He rose again. But he went back to heaven, and before he left, he said, I'm coming back. In the meantime, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, and one of these days I'll come back. We're living in the days when he's not reigning on this earth. We're living in the days when he's in the same position that David was in. David was the rightful king. He had the anointing oil upon him, but Saul had usurped the throne and Saul was pursuing. You and I are living in a day when Satan is the prince of this world. You and I are living in a day when he is actually the one that is able to take the kingdoms of this world and give them to whosoever he will. He offered them to Jesus. But our Lord's not coming to the throne that route or any other route that is contrary to God's will. But he is the rightful ruler of this earth and someday shall rule. In the meantime, he's doing something. He's calling out of this world men and women to follow him. 
men and women that'll take him as Savior. And some of these are qualifying as his mighty man. I wondered if you've qualified or if you are satisfied to live a very insipid, a very sweetened sugar type of saccharine sweetness life down here. But are you living today a vital, vigorous life for Jesus Christ? Are you making your life count for him? Well, may I say to you, my beloved, the Lord is calling out men and women to his name. To those who by his marvelous grace will just come and trust. Then, my beloved, he's called those men and women. If they will, they'll have to make the decision as we're going to see. They can qualify as this mighty man. And some today are qualifying. Now, David, as we see here, was hard-pressed. He retired from the promised land temporarily. He crossed over Jordan. He camped there. And it's while he's there that these men come to him. And David is the one that challenged these men. Now, will you listen to it before we leave this incident? Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, who was chief of the captains, and he said, Thine are we, David, and on thy side, thou son of Jesse. Peace, peace be unto thee, and peace to thine helpers, for thy God helpeth thee. Then David received them, and made them captains of the band. Now, I hope this will be an illustration to you and to me of the Christian life. You know, the greatest problem that stares the Christian in the face today is not service. Not that at all, but it's actually how to live the Christian life. You see, today many people, and I think in our counseling, that we probably talk to more people about this matter of service than any other particular subject. So many people say today, how can I serve God? May I say this to you? Do you know that God is more concerned about you living for him than about you serving him? He's much more interested in your, in your living for him than in your serving him. Fact of the matter is, I personally do not believe he wants our service until he has our life. I'm confident that he never wants the work of this hand until he has the hand. He never wants the fruit of this brain until he has the brain. He never wants the, the work and the effort of this heart until he has the heart, my beloved. That's the thing that he's concerned about. Now, I'm wondering if we might not be speaking to some folk who are here. Actually, isn't this really your problem? It's not really service, is it? Isn't it really living for God today? Isn't that your problem? Let me ask another question. Do you want to live for God? And if you do not want to live for God, you might as well leave, because this message is not for you. We are talking to those who, like this group out of Judah and Benjamin, came down to the water's edge, crossed over, and said, David, 
We belong to you. And we want to live for you. We want to be on your side. Now, if you're not interested, and you may not be, we're not talking to you. It's not, his, not your service that he's after. He wants you. Now, how can he get you? Well, my beloved, the Jordan River represents, if you please, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jordan River does not represent, under any circumstances, the death of a Christian. We have a song that we sometimes sing, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wistful eye. But to begin with, that little old stream is not stormy, but just once out of the year when it's flood stage in the spring. That's the only time that it's even out of its banks. The other time, it's a very peaceful little stream. And then, my beloved, when you get to the time of death, you will not be standing on Jordan. The Jordan River does not represent your death or my death. It represents the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It represents his death. Now, I want you to see something, and I hope that this illustration that God's given us in his word might somehow or another flash and flood light. And what I believe is the biggest problem that you and I are confronted with as believers. For most of us here are believers. And our problem and our difficulty is not how to serve him. Our problem is how to live for him. Now, will you note it? I'm turning to the sixth of Romans. For here you have the picture given to us. That Jordan River represents the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, will you notice what Paul says here? In verse 3, he says, Know ye not. And when Paul says, Know ye not, you can put it down that the saints know not. He wouldn't have said it if he, had, if he hadn't found it that way. He says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, my beloved, when the Lord Jesus Christ 1,900 years ago, died on the cross and was buried and then raised again, may I say that that's the time that you and I died with him. We were buried with him in identification. That's baptism. We were raised with him in newness of life. That happened 1,900 years ago. Now, I hear a great many people say today, uh, things like this. Well, you know, we've got to crucify the old man. I hear pa people say, well, the old man, he's got to die off here. I hear people say today, well, you know, we've got to try and struggle and strive at this thing. My beloved, may I say that that's, all of that is contrary to what he's saying here. He is not asking anybody to crucify themselves. He's not asking anybody here to try to get control of yourself. 
and live the Christian life. The fact of the matter is, he's telling us something altogether different than that. He's saying this to us, that we are crucified with Christ. When? 1,900 years ago when he was crucified. And uh, nevertheless, we live. It's yet not I. It's Christ living in us. So that the greatest truth for the believer is this. Not only did Christ die for us 1,900 years ago, but that we died in Christ 1,900 years ago. Do you believe that? May I say, my beloved, it's only as you and I believe that that we're even put on any kind of ground at all to live the Christian life. You and I can't crucify ourselves. Have you ever tried it? I asked a man that uh, he talked quite a bit on the victorious life. And after he'd finished it, I went up to him. I said, you said that we got to get rid of self. Now, I said, brother, I've got, <clears throat> I've got a, a self that's pretty hard to get rid of. And I'd like to know how you're doing with it. Have you been able to get rid of it? And he shook his head and he said, you know, Brother McGee, I'm having the trouble too. And I said, yes, don't we all have the trouble? I wish we could crucify him, wish we could get rid of him, but that's not God's method. Long as we're in the flesh, we'll always have that old nature. And that's not the way of triumph. What he's saying is this, know ye not. Here is something for you to know that 1,900 years ago, that when he went down into the waters of death, that you went down in the waters of death. When he came up out of the waters of death, you came up out of the waters of death. And that you are joined to a resurrected Christ. You belong to him. Now, that's the first thing. You're to know that. My beloved, until you and I step out and believe that, we haven't even taken the first step in living the Christian life. We, we can't try. We can't struggle. You can't kill the old self off. If you've tried it, you know that you failed. Why don't you believe God? Oh, how we need to believe God. Most of us are practical atheists, even as Christians. Yes, we trusted Christ for salvation, but we don't believe this. We don't believe that when he died 1,900 years ago, we died in him. Now we are joined to a, to a Savior, a resurrected Savior. Now listen to the second thing that Paul says for us to do. He says, likewise, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now he said this is something for you to know, and the second thing that you're to do, you're to reckon on it. And to reckon on it means to put your absolute implicit confidence that that is true. May I say that this business today of trying to hold down the flesh and put her bits on it and say, I won't do it, I'm not going to do that again. Didn't work, did it? You did lose your temper, didn't you? You did do that thing again, didn't you? Instead of that, why not say, oh God, you said, you said, 
that I'm raised with Christ because I died with him 1,900 years ago. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to reckon on that. I'm going to put my confidence in what you said. May I say that the Christian life, living the Christian life, is just like you began it. It's by faith. It's from faith unto faith. It's to be saved by faith, and then it's to walk by faith, my beloved. You see, when you get saved, you don't quit living. It's just like, a, I almost told you how many years ago, but quite a few years ago, I came into this world uh, of oxygen. And I have been going from oxygen to oxygen. In other words, I was born into a world in which I had to start breathing. They said the doctor, you know, took a whack and all of a sudden a cry went out and I started breathing. And been crying a great deal since then too. But believe me, I've been breathing everything ever since then. A lot of smog today, but even then I keep breathing. We have to keep breathing, my beloved. You and I were, were born again by faith. And we live by faith. It's a life of faith, my beloved. In this business that, oh, my, I've got to just struggle and strive. It's a matter, my beloved. He said it. Don't you know it? Reckon on it. Now we come to the third. He says in verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness, understand, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. I hope a young man who wrote me a letter some time ago is here to listening in. He said to me, Dr. McGee, I've heard you say several times to surrender. And he says, I'll be honest with you, it seems to me that that means to just sort of give up. That means sort of to do nothing at all. And I realized then that I had given the wrong impression, at least, to that young man. He writes as a very intelligent young man. And I'm confident that I gave to that young man the wrong impression. That, uh, and so many people feel today that to live the Christian life means to yield yourself to God. And when you yield yourself to God, that, uh, well, that just means submission. That means to do nothing. It means to fold your hands. But may I say to you that the greatest act of the will you will find in this word here where he says yield. It's the same word in Romans 12 where he says present your bodies, but it means something different there. And here he's talking about living the Christian life, and he's saying that you and I, by an act of the will, we are to present ourselves unto him. Well, you see the picture? Amasai and his followers on the other side of the Jordan River. They said, you know, David's over yonder. I hope David knows that we're thinking nicely about him and that we are for him and that, all, that sort of thing. But you know that all we have to do is just sort of yield unto David. We just say we're for him here. That's all we'll have to do. Those fellas didn't think that. They said, you know, if we're for David, we've got to go down there to Jordan River. 
And by an act of the will, we've got to swim across the river. And we've got to get over on the other side, and we're going to say to David, David, we belong to you. That's yielding. That's surrendering. And I'm bold enough to say that if you have not actively surrendered to Jesus Christ, that you're not living the Christian life. Not until you and I come to the place where we actually plunge into the water, the Jordan River, and by an act of the will we go to the other side and we say to him, Lord Jesus, we belong to you. We're on your side. We present ourselves. We yield ourselves under you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Paul's very practical, and I'm going on here for just a moment. Verse 16 in the 6th of Romans, he says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Will you notice that? Paul says that there are actually only two masters that you and I can obey. One is sin, and back of sin is Satan. The other is the Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, you are either obeying one or the other. There's not a third master to obey. There's no third place you can go. There's no third place you can turn your life over. You are either obeying sin or you are obeying Christ. Which is it? And you know how you can tell? It's the one that you're yielding yourself to. It's the one you're yielding yourself. If you're yielding yourself to that bad temper, if you're yielding yourself to that matter of gossip, if you're yielding yourself to that sin, brother, the devil's your master, not Jesus. Satan is your master, not him. The one that you obeyed, that's your master. Who are you obeying? Huh? That's up to you. As a child of God, you can obey either one. But if you obey Jesus Christ, you're going to have to come to him. You are going to have to yield to him. That's the thing Paul said. And if you yield yourself under sin, that's who you belong to. I watched several years ago, out here in front of the church, a group of chauffeurs from the club across the street were gathered in a circle talking in that uh, walkway there. I watched them because they certainly were engrossed in a conversation. A man, a very fine-looking gentleman, came out of the club and turned to that circle of men he said something, called somebody by name. He moved on toward a Cadillac. When he did, one of those men came out of that crowd, came over, got in the driver's seat, and the next minute, that car pulled out. And I made a profound con uh, conclusion. It's about as profound as that. You know what it was? I came to the conclusion that that chauffeur who went and got in that car was that fellow's chauffeur. You know why? He obeyed him. He obeyed him. When I hear a person say today, yes, I belong to Christ, and then sin comes along, and he obeys. 
I know immediately that he's not obeying Christ because you can't obey two masters. You can't, you can't follow two masters. There are only two, and you either obey sin or you obey Christ, not any other. Have you ever noticed this? In salvation, God appeals to the heart. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And you remember the Lord Jesus made this statement in his day, he, that he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts and be converted, and I should heal. And then it was Philip said to the Ethiopian eunuch, If thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When God appeals to you and me as lost sinners, he appeals to our heart to believe. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And he says, it's with the heart that man believeth. But when God appeals to you and me as born-again believers, he appeals to our will. And he says, yield. And that's not some little submission. That means that you actively go to him and say, Lord Jesus, you told me to run down the flag of self. You told me, surrender. Here I am on your turn. And I'm surrendering to you. May I be personal now because I want to close. Have you ever surrendered? Have you? How many Christians thriving and struggling, getting nowhere? All they need to do is go down to Jordan. You know, he, he says we'd live the Christian life in the world. So many people think, well, I'm going to be all right when I get to heaven. We're not going to live the Christian life in heaven. We're going to live a heavenly life up there. The only place in the world you can live a Christian life is down here. And he said, I pray not that you take them out of the world. I pray that you keep them from the evil one here in the world. He'd much rather have you living for him down here and have you in heaven. He wants you in heaven, he'd take you. But you can do him more good down here, and he wants you to live for it. And the only way that you and I can live for him We've tried it, haven't we? Oh, how we've failed. We've tried. We've struggled. Oh, how we've been striving. Oh, to run down the flag and to go to him and by an active act of the will say to him, I surrender. Take my soul. Take it all. It belongs to you. This man, Saul of Tarsus, Proud, self-sufficient, keeper of the law, he thought. He met Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road, and he was converted. What a change in his life was wrong. And then he came to that place in his life where he tried so hard, and he didn't get anywhere. Listen to him. Oh, he's a defeated man. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? How many of us have cried like that? Then this man gave the victory shout, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Paul says, I can't do it myself. I can't live the Christian life. I found it out, and so I've just had to go to him and tell him, here I am. You told me to surrender, and I'm doing it as an act of the will. And then he found out that the Spirit of God did for him what he could not do. He crossed over Jordan. He surrendered to Jesus. And he said, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I want to close with the lines of Joseph Addison Richard, what it expresses, I believe, better than any other bit of poetry I've been able to find because most of it talks about I have to crucify myself, and I find out I can't do that. What I need to do is to believe what God said, that that happened 1,900 years ago. Now, will you listen? I owned a little boat a while ago and sailed a morning sea without a fear. And whether any breeze might fairly blow, I'd steer the little craft afar and near. Mine was the boat, and mine the air, and mine the sea, not mine a care. Mine was the boat, mine the net, and mine the skill and power to get. One day there passed along the silent shore, while I my net was casting in the sea, a man who spake as never man before, I followed him. New life began for me. Mine was the boat, but his the voice, and his the call, yet mine the choice. Then came a fearful night upon the lake, and all my skill availed not at the helm. Till tell him asleep, I waken crying, Take, take thou command, lest waters overwhelm. His was the boat, and his the sea, and his the power o'er all and me. His was the boat, and his the skill, and his the catch, and his my will. Have you taken your little bark yet? The one that you've been so carefully steering have you taken it and said, now, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. You take the, you take the boat at yours. You take my life at yours. You take it all. My brother, my sister, you and I will never know what it is to live Christian life until we cross over joy and say, thine are we, Jesus. We're on your side. We belong to you. Have you been over Jordan? Are you still trying to run it yourself? Learn more about what it means to surrender to the Lord when you visit ttb.org and click on How Can I Know God? There you're going to find several free resources from Dr. McGee. And if you don't want to do that, you can always call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE, and we'll send you a few by mail. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll see you next week for the Sunday Sermon, Thine is the Kingdom. It's from 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. 
Let's worship him today as Psalm 29.2 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Join us each weekday for our five-year daily study through the whole Word of God. Check for times on this station or look for Through the Bible in your favorite podcast store and always at ttb.org.